Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, and also thank you to all my listeners all over this globe who are listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show dedicated to sharing stories of people who have been in a hopeless situation and then were able to turn that situation around and turn it into one where they can help others, where they became successful in whatever their situation or problem was, whether it was physical or financial or abuse or any number of things. And my guests range, as do my uh, audience, in every type of educational background, uh, ethnic background, uh, financial background. It doesn't really matter where we are. We all go through issues of hopelessness at one point or another, and some are greater than others. And so this show is dedicated to encouraging you, especially if you have been through what the individual guest that is on today has gone through. And today with me, I have a guest who has gone through a very serious physical problem, and that is cervical cancer. And I know this will really speak to a lot of women who have gone through this, who have come out the other end, who have survived, and also who have learned so much and can share so much of their journey as they went through this process. So I thank my guests. I thank my my listeners. It's exciting to share each of these stories. Mary Lennon is an author of four books. She's also a life coach, and she's very active on Facebook and other social media in sharing what she has learned on her journey. She lives on the coast of North Cornwall, and that is in the far southwest of the UK. Her story starts in 1994 when Mary was diagnosed with cervical cancer. She asked her doctor if she could talk with somebody, you know, somebody else who had gone through a similar experience or gone through this particular type of cancer, and the doctor said she wasn't able to do that. And that triggered something in Mary. This started her on a new journey, and that was to make a journal, I believe a daily journal, of her journey through this whole process. And it had its highs and its lows. And she shares this in one of her books. And I know she's written four, possibly more than one of her journey through what she learned in that 
time of her life. She wrote the first book, Flying in the Face of Fear, and that was a compilation of stories of women who had to face their fears. She has since written other books, including her current one, which I know she's very excited about and wants to share that with us today, called Dare to Blossom. Mary, welcome. Hello. Lovely to join you. Thank you. Now, let's start with the beginning of your story, when you were first diagnosed with cancer, did you feel at those first moments that you were going to beat this disease or were you driven by fear that this was going to be the end? I think my first response was, I'll I'll beat this. I'm not going to be overcome in this moment because I knew I had a lot more living to do. That's incredible. So you're a fighter. Yes, I felt out that I was anyway. And so tell us about that journey. And what happened when you went to the doctor and you decided to make your journal, etc.? Yes, I think it was was one of my first decisions was to literally go out and buy a notebook and and start writing down what was happening to me. And I wasn't somebody previously who'd done that particularly. Since my childhood days of keeping a diary, which was more or less what I had for dinner and who I I saw the next day at school, Um, after that I hadn't really done this. So it was very much about, and I knew without knowing that it would be a place to share my innermost, innermost feelings and fears and the things I felt I couldn't burden my family with. Because I, as anybody who's been in this situation will know with any serious diagnosis, as the patient, you find yourself protecting those around you from the worst of your own fears. Did you surprise yourself at all when you when you read your journal or some yes. of the things that you might have discovered as you were writing and maybe share some of that with us? Yes, it's. Um, I mean, a lot of it was just the routine stuff I wanted to remember, you know, what was happening, what the doctors said, what drugs I was given, those sort of things. There are also things in there about how I dealt with it and how I felt. And I did feel really hopeless a lot of the time. It really was, you know, people don't understand what I'm going through and and it's, it's one of those situations where, because cancer is such a such a strange thing, until you're diagnosed, often, certainly in my case, I didn't feel ill. Mm. I didn't look ill. And I know different diseases are different and different, yes. different people's experience yes. is different. But in my case, fortunately for me, because it was caught very early, um, there were symptoms that I'd had, but I didn't know that that's what they were. Uh, until I was diagnosed. Uh, in hindsight, I, I should have known that's part of the, the reason why I talk about it and write about it. So I want other women to recognize you know, what those are and what they could be. Um, oh, like that's lot- excellent. I'm glad that you said that because that brings an awareness then. Yes, yes. I mean, the first thing is, is go for your what we call smear tests here. I think they call them PAP tests in North America, don't they? Um, is go for those regular checkups whenever you're offered. That's so, so vital. That's what I was doing that, and it's still developed in its three-year intervals here. It was then. So it's still developed within three years from nothing to being a cancer. So if I hadn't been for that three-yearly checkup, then it could have been so much worse for me. What other symptoms, Mary, could... Um we help our audience with as far as what they might experience and what they should be looking for? Yes, I mean, one of the very early ones is, is bleeding when you're not expecting it. And for me at the time, for various reasons, I wasn't having regular periods. So it was a bit harder for me. For anybody who is is having regular periods, it would be maybe easier. Um, so that's one of the key things. And any pain that you're experiencing, which isn't usual for you, and 
So those, those are the key things, really. And it's, it's like several of the um, gynecological cancers are very, very hard to spot early on. And so it is that sort of thing, really, that would distinguish it from anything that you know, anything you're anxious about. And people are often don't want to bother their doctors, or maybe there's a cost to going to the doctor in some countries. Um, but I think if you're worried about anything, it's much better policy to get it checked up on early as in my experience, when it probably saved my life. Now, I believe that fear is a great part of this process. And how did you deal with that? I know you're, you're going to talk about this later when you share your new book and, you know, dealing with the various emotions. But at the time, what coping mechanisms did you have to combat the fear other than your tenacity of I'm going to beat this? Yes, I mean, what I'd asked for originally, as you said in the summary at the beginning, was was to speak to other people, and it wasn't very easy for me to do that in those days. And cancer support everywhere, I think, but certainly in the UK has changed dramatically since 1994. There's a lot more support, a lot more um, peer support, if you like, from other people that are going through the same thing. So I I think the best advice is to talk to other people. What I did do was talk to um, helplines on the telephone. There were nurses at the time, but they were great. They were able to talk to me about anything, any any fear that I had. They were happy to talk me through it and give me some support with that just by listening. So listening, I found the key thing. I could get the information that I I needed about the medical side of it, but what I needed help with was my emotions and dealing with that fear, as you say. Yes, yes. I think talking about it and finding support groups is is excellent because then you know there's going to be people at different stages and those who are a lot further down that down that journey than you were and you know that they made it and it's got to be a, an encouragement just as you are here today to encourage our audience who may know someone or are going through it them, you know, themselves. Now during this time uh, you went through the various treatments and you had a hysterectomy, is that correct? Yes, that's right. And tell us a little bit about what happened. Uh, you had mentioned in your bio that there were some um, some pretty bad, I don't know if it was regression or what happened that would be setting you back in, uh, when you were healing. Yes, I mean, in some, lots of ways I was very fortunate. I, I only had surgery. I didn't need radiotherapy or chemotherapy. I know a lot of women go through all of those <laughs> this sort of cancer and other sorts. Um, what I had, the procedure I had is known as a fur-timed hysterectomy or radical hysterectomy, which means that they not only remove the ovaries and the womb, they remove um, lymph nodes and part of the vagina as well. It's quite a major surgery. Mm. And that's one of my issues in a way is that hysterectomies are done for so many different reasons, often nothing to do with cancer, and often there's something that's solving a problem that, and it improves people things for people makes them feel much better whereas in my case because it was such major surgery there was so much more cutting and stitching to be done and a lot of wounds to heal heal so i think part of my problem what i have problem i had was was chronic pain for years afterwards and still still a few twinges now even on really probably uh, adhesions which is where you know different parts of your body sort of stick together where they're not supposed to and they join together and that causes stresses inside the body when you move that type of thing and maybe scar tissue as well which is a slightly different thing um I've, you know i've spoken to women since who have had cesarean sections for childbirth and they often experience the same thing any sort of abdominal surgery can can have this issue um my other thing personally is that i'm very very sensitive to pain so what wouldn't trouble somebody else who doesn't feel pain so much 
troubles me greatly. So um, that's just the way my body's wired. Exactly, that's right. Yeah, I understand. Now, you also had a traumatic experience uh, during this time, and I believe it had to do with your mum? Yes, that was was some years later. It was in 1999, so only only five years later, I suppose. Um, And she had a severe stroke. She suddenly went in a second from being a, a fit, active woman who lived by herself and went out and drove herself around did everything and then was suddenly disabled and in hospital and then later on into a nursing home. So, um, I mean, she was always adamant that she didn't want any of the family caring for her at home. It actually wouldn't have been possible. She was too badly disabled anyway. Um, but it was you know, a big shock for everybody. Again, I was, I was fortunate. She was fortunate in that she could talk and express her needs and let us know what she wanted. Um, I know from what she told me that she'd have preferred just to have passed away on the spot. And who wouldn't, I suppose, you know, uh-huh, for say uh-huh. it was a gift, you know, again, what you believe about people's life path is, is different between all of us, but it was certainly a gift for me that we had that time together. We had another five and a half years when we talked a lot, we sorted out all her affairs, we were able to sort through family photographs and all those sort of things that so many people don't get that luxury and that joy if somebody dies suddenly so it was a great gift in a lot of ways it was hugely emotionally difficult because I wasn't providing physical support for her in the way of caring but I was providing all the emotional support and dealing with all her affairs and her finances and all those things and visiting you know, nearly every day and just the, just the emotional and physical effect of that on me was, was quite um, profound. I realised afterwards, you don't realise these things, you just keep going when you're in this situation as we do with all these difficult times in life, we're stronger than we think we are. That's very well said. We are stronger than we think we are and often we are, are not even aware of that until we go through something and then we're on the other side and we look back and, and it's like almost a shock that we endured so much and yet we're okay. So that's another message I'm sure that would be a contributing factor in your in your book. Mm. And that book, let's talk about that. That one is well, let, why don't you share all of your books with us? Start from the first one. Share a little about about each one. Yes, yes, okay. Well the first one is, is as you mentioned earlier, Flying in the Face of Fear and subtitle Surviving Cervical Cancer. And that was the one, as you said, which was a compilation of women's stories who'd also had the same illness. I started off compiling it thinking that um, it would be uh, the snippets of people's stories, but these women sent me these most extraordinary accounts of what they'd been through. So it turned out to be a chapter for each person that contributed um, with very little editing, pretty much in their own words. Would that be an encouraging book for someone to, that is going through this? It is very encouraging. It's Because it was published in 1998, I'm glad to say that the medical side of it is out of date now. Mm-hmm. The, the treatments have, have improved so much, a lot more preventative um, medicines come in and the early diagnosis and the way they treat it. So that's changed. So that is out of date. So I wouldn't want people to take that as being what happens now. But mm-hmm. the women's stories themselves are you know extraordinary how they cope with these different things. It, it will make people cry. You need a big box okay. of tissue. Sit and read it because <laughs> if I sit and read it now, I, even though I know the story so well, I'm always in tears reading them. Because and, and often it's you know it's tears of admiration and, and joy sometimes. Yes, yes. Just, you know, 
sheer empathy of what people have gone through. You, know, you just can't help but but um, feel some emotion. I don't think anybody can read it without you know, feeling some emotion from it. But it, it is encouraging. I know I had lots of letters from people who've uh, bought the book and read the book and who've said how encouraging it was for them. And of course, not everybody does survive. But and there's one very, very sad story in the book that the, the woman who wrote her account and then she died and her husband wrote something afterwards Aww. which she was happy to publish because she thought it would support other families about the time that has left and how they valued that and you know, I won't describe it all and I have to ask of course. Her and I'll get quite emotional if I try <laughs> but that, the fact that she she taken the time to share her story with other women when she was you know very ill herself and at such an extreme stage of her illness and that her husband was happy to share afterwards which I found that so moving that they were both prepared to do that and help other people by sharing their stories the book was um, I've sort of alternated the four books I've done that that one was done specifically to help me and other women with the that cervical cancer experience. The next one was actually published um, ten years later in two thousand and eight, and that was after I'd become a life coach and set up Dare to Blossom Life Coaching in two thousand and three, and that is called Dare to Blossom Coaching and Creativity, and that is about a little bit about my story, and it's also a an easy to follow and easy to apply book of coaching techniques and okay. um, exercises. So, I mean, so many of the books I've read when I was training and I've read since are amazing books. They're often very thick and very detailed and very um, full of information. And I wanted to write something that was slimmer and easier to follow and easy to actually apply to people's lives and I think that's what I achieved because people tell me that that's what they've been able to do they've been able to work through it and it's that's a good almost, idea excellent yeah, idea yes somebody wrote to me just recently and said I've actually gone right through it quickly and I'm going to go back to the beginning and start <laughs> again <laughs> and it's, that was the intention so that that was I say lost snippets of, of my story and and then after that, I was commissioned to write a book um, on uh, on cervical cancer for a book company called Need to Know Books, and they specialise in simple guides. It's, it's called a guide to cervical cancer, I think is the title. Um, some of the details I, I'd said to you anyway. Um, that they they that's an interesting experience. It's the only commissioned book I've written. The others were self published. Um, and it, or in uh, collaboration with people, um, but it was really interesting because they wanted it to fit in with their style, their house style, which is very, very clear, very um, much guidance for people who are wanting to know some factual information. But they also wanted the character of the author in there too, so a bit about my experience and how I cope with it to bring it to life. So that was a really interesting experience. That was published in 2010. So tell us the name of that book. And then also, um, the first, that's, this is the third one now, correct? That's right. Okay, so what was the name of the first three? Yes, so there's Flying in the Face of Fear. Okay. Surviving then, Cancer, yeah, which is my first one, which is a compilation of women's stories. The second one? The second one is called Dare to Blossom Coaching and Creativity. That's like a workbook, and, right? Yes, that's how okay. we work with the exercises. And then the next one that you were just talking about? 
Yes, so that was the one that was for Need to Know Books, and the title is Cervical Cancer, The Essential Guide. Excellent title. That certainly will grab the attention of those who who are going through this. And and then your next one. Right, so the next one is a companion guide to the Dare to Blossom Rediscovery Cards. And you mentioned those right at the beginning in your introduction. They're a pack of cards that I developed. Um, I developed them in late 2011 to use really in my workshops I do with people in person and get together in a group. Um, And the cards are simply a single word with a background colour. And people find those really um, accessible and easy to use to provoke their sort of inner reflection. So I call them rediscovery cards, rediscovering your inner wisdom. So share some of those with us. The one I pick, I pick out one every day and post it on my Facebook page with my own reflections. Okay. And I have a group on Facebook as well that people can join where they can um, post what they want to as well when they can do on my page. So um, just get to the cards out now. So I'll just draw one as far as drawing it for myself. And this card is authenticity. It's got a deep pink background, a really beautiful sort of rose, deep rose pink. So what I would do with that would be just see what the first reaction was to the word or the colour or the other. So tell us what your reaction is. Mm, I should ask you what yours is really, Carol. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do that at the moment. Okay. Well, I don't see it, so I don't see the colour. But the word authenticity, to me, of course, I would relate it to what I'm personally going through. I think that's the whole idea, correct? And so to me, authenticity is goes along with truth and somebody who just has been lying to me recently so I'm thinking they're not that authentic and (laughs) so that was my first thought which is what you wanted and that was a negative so give us a positive side of that what would possibly come out of that as natural that would be your first thought if you're in that situation I think confirmation you know, that it, it isn't me, I was lied to, it makes you more aware. So that would be the positive aspect of it, you know, that bringing awareness to be careful. Yes, and it's sometimes it is, it's like that's um, sharpening up your awareness and raising your antennae, if you like. But yes, yes. In this world, sadly, that we live in, we need to be sensitive to whether people are being authentic or not with us. And so what do we do with that then? We have the word, do we dwell on that like for the day how do you how do you use that well what i often do myself if i have time i I draw it out if i have time i write about it straight away and it may just be a really short thought since you've just shared or it may be a longer reflection if i have time to do that Mm -hmm. and what i often find if i just sit with it just leave it there in the background often other things will arise during the day or other thoughts um, I mean, the prompts that are in the book I've just now recently published to go with them, as I mentioned, the companion guide. Okay. That is a series of questions so that people can ask themselves these questions. It's things like, basically, what else is there, which is a classic coaching question. Mm-hmm. Often people come up with their first reaction. And then if you say, well, what else is there? Maybe something else arises. So if I ask you what else is there about authenticity? That's a good question. I'd have to dwell on that for a bit. You would. I'll send you the photograph of the card later. I see see what you're doing, though. It does definitely makes, you know, it it stretches you. It makes you uh, to think about things. And is that the purpose of each of these? Or what is the essential purpose? The essential purpose is to reconnect you with yourself and your inner wisdom. 
I keep repeating that phrase. It's about coming home to yourself. It's another phrase I love. Um, and we, we all often feel so disconnected. We feel that everybody else's demands and um, impulses and everything else is impacting on us. We often forget and lose our center point within. So when I'm using this with people in coaching one-to-one, I go through the process that we've been discussing. And often they withdraw two or three cards in a coaching session and they build up into a bigger picture. Oh, I see. I, yeah, so then they go away with uh, with a, a, something to think about, and then other things would arise later very often. It's, it's very much about that process. It's not a quick fix anything. It's just, you know, this is something I can focus on and think about and come back to. Well, give us a couple Give us a couple other examples and maybe with some prompts. If I can give you a, a couple of stories. Sure, that's great. People that have, have um, found this really, really um, insightful. Um, there was, I gave a talk a while back to a group of about 30 people. And uh, part of my talks, I always get people involved. I always get them to draw a card somehow or other. So with this quite a big group, I just had to whiz around the room and hand them out to people. And they knew each other quite well, most of them. So they were happy to share their first thoughts to them, whatever word it was they got. And there's one person there who said, I've got no idea really what this word means to me. I don't know. And later on, she um, messaged me and she said, this is really interesting. I'm going to try and quote this as accurately as I can because it's so profoundly moving for me that she said this. She said, it turned out that this word was the key to a change in behavior I needed to make to help her with a life-threatening illness. Wow moment. And it turned out the word is forgiveness. Amazing. Yes. (laughs) Such an important word. And there's more, if I could tell you. (laughs) There's more. Absolutely, Um, please. The background is orange. And she said, I don't like orange very much. (laughs) Um, But she was going to Thailand on a detox retreat to help her with her health. And she decided to um, paint her toenails orange. She said, that looked really nice. So she's still doing that. And then she bought an orange scarf to brighten up her (laughs) her color and of course when she got to Thailand um, because it's quite a Buddhist country a lot of the Buddhist robes have some orange colours don't they so she found that was very much in tune as well and all these different things kept coming up about this orange and this card but it sort of stayed with her for months and she's still finding it's developing in in different ways for her just a simple little I mean it's it's extraordinary how it works but this simple little word on a card and a colour it's interesting what you said about the colour too because then when you see that color, it will trigger the word and what you should or should not be reflecting on. And forgiveness and orange is, I, I totally can relate to that. So anytime now, even as you're speaking, that I see the color orange, I'm going to think of forgiveness, which is, I believe, and I've written a lot about this, that it's a state that we live in. Instead of living in the opposite, when it becomes turns into bitterness and and many other negative emotions, so I really like that one. Thank you. Anything yeah. else? Yes, I can give you another example. I, I I've used these cards. It's coming up again quite soon, actually. I have a stand, an exhibition stand at a local business fair, store for other businesses to come along and you know, talk to people. Um, so I use the cards. And I just offer them to people as an introduction. So would you like a word for today? See what comes up. And last year, this the man came along and he drew patience, and it's got a dark green color, 
and he started talking about it and it turned out he was a journalist and he said, well, I don't actually need patience in my work because I'm working to deadlines. It's all rush, rush, you know, get things in on time. And then he told me this story. I really couldn't believe this. He said, well, actually, last year, my wife had cancer. She had cervical cancer. And he did not know that I'd had this. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I know. That's extraordinary. Anyway, he didn't know that. And I think I may have just, oh, gosh, you know, I've had that too. But then he told me how that stopped him and made him think about spending time with his young children and his wife and appreciating life, all these different things. And we had a good sort of 10 minutes of conversation. I, mean, I didn't hear from him again, but I'm hoping that that gave him a pause in his busy day and he went away and thought some more about it. But we would not have had that conversation at a business show without that card. Because, you know, we'd have said, right, oh, hello, right, how are you, what right. do you do, you know, who do you work for, or whatever it was. We'd never have made that real heart-to-heart connection about this, this issue that had come up for him. So um, do you suggest when people buy the cards that they use them on other people as well like to share them and and like in a group situation or with your friends or something this is our word for the day or is this really very personal like what um what are some of the ways that people use the cards yes there people keep coming up with different ways to use them i love it lots of people use them with their children and i had to kind of give you a story about this was um uh, a woman in America, I uh, can't remember exactly where she lived, I might be Florida, I'm not sure. But yeah, she wrote to me and she said um, her grandchildren had been staying and she'd been taking them every day to a, a day summer camp. So they weren't staying all the time, they were going daily. Um, so in the morning she would get them to choose a card and the way she did it was to have them turned over so they could see the words and they could choose which word they wanted to take with them into their day. And as they drove there they would discuss the words and see what they thought about them and then the idea was they'd, they'd have that word with them for the whole day and then when she picked them up in the evening they'd talk about how it had been used or how it had been active in their day, what this word had meant for them they talk about it on the way home and again she said the conversations they had were so different in quality and character than you would have had with children normally I'm not sure what ages they were then but it was you know, often you ask the children how their day went, they just go, yeah, okay, <laughs> right, whatever. Right. As children do, they don't think they want to share. And uh, this you know, brought up all sorts of conversations. And she said, you know, when their parents came back at the end of the week, wherever it was to pick them up again, the whole family drew a card before they set off home on their journey and talked about it. And this could open up all kinds of avenues for conversation and uh, an open conversation, especially with kids and teenagers. That would be... Awesome to be able to, especially if they be develop that habit, right, when they're younger and then it just carries carries on in different phases of their life using the cards to share their emotions and what they're going through. Excellent idea. Any Anything else you want to share, stories or any other uses for the cards? Start it with your journey, correct, through the whole cancer and, and relating to people. And how did you get this idea? Well, that's a good point. Um I don't know, really. I mean, I've been working with, with coaching. I, I came to life coaching when I was being made redundant. So one of my other life experiences is being made redundant three times now. Um, but the first time that happened, um, my employer at the time didn't provide a coaching service as such. So I paid for that myself when I learned about life coaching. And it was such an amazing transformational experience for me as I decided to retrain and become a life coach as well as my other work I was doing. And these things have developed by using 
my own practices, if you like. So the most recent things have developed are the workshops I run um, both here in England and different places and online are all built around the theme of a magic carpet ride. People love that idea because it makes them smile. <laughs> and crux of all my work really comes from a problem-solving mode into a more creative mode. And so there's a magic carpet ride. So I take people on a journey, messages or a gift or an insight, something that helps them with where they want to move to next in their life. So is that your call to action today for the listeners to buy the book, the guide, and the cards uh, help develop this in their lives? Yes, yes. I mean, if people want something to help them um, reconnect with themselves, to appreciate the wisdom that they have, which is often buffeted and battered and scattered by all the pressures of a, a life, a normal life of work and family and everything else, just that simple practice of drawing a card once a day and just sitting with it, even if you put it on your um, mantelpiece, you might put it on the dashboard of your car, you might just put it on your purse, but you've got that thought there with you. The one I've just opened as I was speaking is power, and it's purple, so that word might go with you out into your day and keep you thinking. And if you do nothing else, that is, is a really profound way of reconnecting with yourself. And if you use it to journal, if you follow the prompts in the book, if you connect with other people in my groups who are using it, or you'd want to maybe talk to me about it as well and have some more guidance on where it might take you, those all be great things for people to find out more about this process. And how many cards are there? There are 50 cards in the pack. They're little tiny mini cards, intricate ones with lots of detailed guidance. And the reason was was that I wanted something simple that would connect with anybody in any background, you know, any situation. Um, but you can keep you can keep them in first, more or less. You can take them out whenever you wanted, and um, just use them really, really simply. That and, sounds yeah. that sounds great. What a great idea! Well, thank you, Mary, for not only sharing your journey through the cervical cancer, and I know that that would be encouraging for women who are listening who may need to hear what you have to share, and and also the stories in the book. Fighting, flying in the face of fear. I appreciate that. Also, your other books that all are along this line, basically. And then there's the two, uh, the the guide and the the new book with the cards, Dare to Blossom. And that's a challenge in itself. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Like, in other words, what's holding you back? Step out. It's time to move forward. And so Dare to Blossom. And the cards are an awesome idea. Thank you for sharing that with me. And is there anything else you want to say in summary? Uh, it's just to, to do what I'm constantly being challenged to do because people say to me, well, well have you? Have you dared to blossom? <laughs> I always say, yes, it's work in progress. I'm continually to doing it every moment of the day and sometimes slipping back a little bit and happy to recover and then I'm daring to blossom again. Thank you so much, Mary. I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. 
Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.